Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Episode 82 of the Sports Gospel Podcast here on sportsgospel.com or wherever you found us. We're happy to have you here with us on our Thanksgiving week episode. And so much on to fill your plate for this sports weekend. Darren and Andrew with you on this week's show. Andrew, where are you at on Thanksgiving food? What's your go-to? As I assume you celebrate the holiday in some capacity. Yeah, my go-to actually... My family is a little bit non-traditional. We will have turkey. We will have plenty of turkey meat, but my grandma likes to make, and I think this is an Iowa thing, ham balls, which are, which is a collection of meat, ham, sausage, beef, all rolled into one with a, a nice brown sugar-based sauce, a sweet sauce on top of it. So that is my go-to food for Thanksgiving. So I'm really looking forward to getting down to grandma's house tomorrow and having some handballs. So uh, very non-traditional answer for me. I, I, I like it though. I'm, I'm very traditional. People have asked me what I have. Turkey rolls, mashed potatoes, gravy. Now are you stuffing or dressing? Where's your I'm vote? A stuffing. I'm a stuffing person. Okay. I think I've been converted into dressing. Maybe it's a West coast thing, but I'm, I'm all here for pumpkin pie with whipped cream. If you just have naked pumpkin pie, I, I, I can't support that, but throw some whipped cream on there. I'm all in mac and cheese on Thanksgiving. This, this seems to be picking up in popularity. I think I was told it was a Southern thing that's now spreading. Yay or nay mac and cheese on Thanksgiving. Um, had a friend's giving this past weekend where there were two different couples that brought a dish of mac and cheese and I was very much on board with it. Um, some bacon bits and some mac and cheese, apparently a really good baked Mac. I, I like it. I like it. I don't mind it. So, um, I mean, I think we're really carbo loading when we've got everything else, you know, the, the stuffing, the mashed potatoes, the gravy, the mac and cheese on top of the turkey and everything else. So I don't know if it's necessarily good for all of us Americans if we're going to start eating mac and cheese, but hey, why not? (laughs) And, and the one that I don't understand where this came from. It's been around many a tables and part of my life forever. Sweet potatoes with the roasted marshmallows on top. Yeah, I've I've only seen it a few times at my family get togethers. I've never really participated in that because I'm not uh, the heat, the biggest sweet potato fan. And then you mentioned pumpkin pie with whipped cream. Uh, I like Cool Whip and just get rid of the pumpkin pie. Just give me the dish of Cool Whip and I'll eat the whole thing of that instead because I'm a big fan of Cool Whip. Yeah, that's that's what the pumpkin pie is. It's a delivery system for the whipped cream. Uh, do you guys, you're, I don't know if we talk about this on the show much. You are, your family is in very heavy Dutch country. Is there, are there like Dutch traditional, basically Dutch letters would be the one I think of. Are there traditional Dutch sweets that we get on Thanksgiving? No, not not typically. I don't think my family does any uh, traditional Dutch stuff on Thanksgiving. I don't know if there really is anything Dutch about our Thanksgiving. Maybe that's <laughs> just because I've been to our Thanksgiving so many times, I don't even really notice uh, the Dutch influence that is there. Maybe if someone who mm-hmm. wasn't Dutch showed up at my Thanksgiving and came down, they would feel differently, but I, I don't really think so. Um we might have apple crisp instead of instead of uh, pumpkin pie. I I'm not sure about that. 
I think we might have pumpkin pie, but I'm a bigger fan of apple crisp. I don't know if that's really a Dutch thing. I think that's more just an Iowa thing, to be quite yeah. honest. And if anybody is listening and you have no idea what a Dutch letter is or you've never had one, go find one. Go find, like, authentic Dutch letters. They are heavenly. I'm not sure, but I would check um, – I would go to the Yarsma Bakery website if I was an outsider – and try and see if they would ship it. I'm not sure if they do, but I think they might. I think they might actually ship to places uh, anywhere in the country, but I'm not I'm not 100% sure on that, but I think I would go to Pella and try and get the real thing. That's that's a good find. I they're they're delicate, so I wasn't sure if they'd travel, but if you've got the lowdown on somebody. Yeah, I mean, that's the bakery in Pella that you got to go to to get your Dutch Dutch letters. There's so. a free- it's a good free plug for him. Yeah. Uh, so this week's show, obviously Thanksgiving week, we have to talk about the NFL. We're going to do a bit of a football basketball sandwich. So starting with the NFL, going to talk a little bit of NBA, a new feature that we're doing, finally getting into some college basketball, and then we're going to end with college football playoff and maybe a little bit of a NFL-related game, depending on how our time is. But... Uh, one thing we have to talk about that I'm just basically going to let Andrew talk about because I do not care. I have not been paying attention. If you want my feelings on the World Cup, just watch this week's episode of Last Week Tonight. But World Cup is happening. They're they're playing the the football and the soccer over in Qatar or Qatar. I say Qatar. I'm, I don't actually know which one is correct. But there's people are playing soccer and upsets are happening and uh, World Cup. Yeah, uh you know, I can't say I'm the biggest soccer fan. I guess I've watched a a little bit of um, the Premier League, a little bit of the UEFA Champions League and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we know who Lionel Messi are. We know who Ronaldo are um, and everything like that. I just get into it world during World Cup time because it's kind of like the Olympics, right? I just want to cheer for the United States of America and something. And so – that's why I'm paying attention to the World Cup this year. As we all know, USA played to a, a 1-1 draw, which was sort of a disappointing result for them. Not the end of the world for the United States team, but it really puts them in a difficult position where they kind of needed that win to secure their spot in advancing past the group stage to the knockout stage of, of World Cup play. It's not that they can't make it. It's just that their chances got significantly reduced. They have to play England on Friday, and England is one of the favorites to win the World Cup. Um, so now that changes. The USA would be very happy to play England to a draw, not win, but if they could somehow play some sort of a 1-1 game with England – that would be like the best possible outcome for the United States and would go a long way towards them advancing. But it really is going to come down to their game against Iran and how many goals the USA is able to put in the back of the net against Iran because they have to have more goals scored than Wales, I believe, because there's a good, there's a very strong chance that. Um, Wales and the United States are going to have the same record. And so then it comes down to goals for goals against. So that goal differential. So USA is going to have to really put the hammer down on Iran and not, and not let Iran score 
in order to be able to advance to the knockout stage unless they do the impossible and upset England, then that really secures their spot. But that's going to be a, a very, very tall task. So England, one of the odds on favorites, I think Argent, everybody thought Argentina was two and then they inexplicably lost to Saudi Arabia two to one. I still think Argentina will bounce back, but we've got Argentina, Spain, Brazil, England, those are kind of the favorite teams in this year's World Cup. So I live very near a soccer bar and they're going all out for this. And they said they will be open anytime. If there's enough people that want to come, they will be open. So they were supposedly open at 2 a.m. and 5 a.m. every day for these games. I don't know because I don't I don't have a 2 a.m. and a 5 a.m. anymore. That you are a dedicated fan if you want to go hunt down a bar to sit there at four in the morning and watch soccer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 4 a.m. here in the in Central Standard Time, which, yeah, it's Qatar. Just just so we're clear, I, I mm. believe it's Qatar. We'll, uh, we'll fight over that for the next month. Yeah, we can fight over that for the next <laughs> month. Who cares, really? And I don't like the location. I don't really like the location correct. of this year's World Cup. So um, I think it should be somewhere else, but, but that's all right. That's all right. And I, maybe there's other rivalries in here that I don't know about. Maybe like Serbia and Switzerland have a real big rivalry. Spain and Germany feels like it's a big soccer matchup. I feel like the American, the American group is the big one. And I would, I need to find an English person. England, is it a bigger deal for them to play Wales or the U.S.? That's what I'm not sure about. Or which loss would hurt more? Maybe that's a better way to think about it. Oh, yeah, I think a loss to the United States in soccer for England fans would be absolutely devastating. It'd be like 1776 all over again. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. Probably not. But I think it would be devastating from the fact that, you know, the United States is just a big time underdog. They have tried. The United States has tried to get kind of with the times, but they're not quite there. Christian Pulisic is our best player by far. And he he's the one guy when you watch these games that feels like he really belongs among the elite players. Not saying that he is an elite player or one of the best in the world at quite yet. He's still really coming into his own, but he's he's like the one guy that you look at up and down on this USA roster that you feel like he's the one that can actually belong out there on the court. It's like, it's like people playing against the United States in basketball and men's basketball in the Olympics, right? There's a lot of times there's not guys on the international team. Some of these international teams that belong, they have maybe one or two guys that belong on the court with the United States team. It's, it's very similar for the USA in soccer when they're matching up in these World Cup games where they're the team at the disadvantage. You did mention the one U.S. player that I've ever heard of, so that is the extent of my World Cup knowledge. But big game Friday, that's what we know. Friday morning, USA. That's really the the extent of my knowledge, too, coming into it. I mean, I've learned – I was learning guys' names when I was watching on – Monday, I believe, at at 1 o'clock. I mean, I knew who Christian Pulisic was, but I did not know literally anyone else on the team. I was looking for Landon Donovan and Clint Clint Dempsey. (laughs) I was like, where 
where's Donovan and Dempsey? What, what are we doing here? But um, apparently those guys are too old now or something. Soccer feels like one of those, cause isn't, aren't Ronaldo and Messi like a thousand years old? Soccer feels like one you can play till you're Tom Brady age. Yeah. Um, I believe Messi is 35 or maybe just oh. turned 36. So this is I feel like probably, yeah, this is probably his last World Cup, honestly. And I think it's actually his fifth World Cup, if I'm not mistaken. So that's uh, that's pretty crazy. Maybe it's his fourth, but I think he's been in a lot of World Cups and impre- an unprecedented number of World Cups. So, hmm. um, yeah, that's that's why I want Messi's one of the greatest. So. Well, there's our World Cup. We'll sprinkle it in here over the next month. We have American football to get to first. We'll just kind of do a weekly preview and tie all NFL topics in here together as we go game by game. Your Thursday, your Thanksgiving slate, you'll start with your lunchtime or for those of us in further west time zones, a bit of a mid-morning start to your day. You've got the Bills going back to Detroit for their, actually a road team this time, taking on the Lions and the the one time a year we all really care about the Lions. I feel so bad for Detroit. I wish they were good. I wish this was a meaningful game every year in actual Super Bowl contention. But it's fun to see them. The Lions have looked better the last couple of weeks. Aiden Hutchinson really coming into his own for them. So you have Bill's Lions to start off your day. Then your middle afternoon or dinner time, you've got the Giants and Cowboys on Fox. And then your nightcap, you've got the Patriots and the Vikings on NBC as you fall asleep in your trip to fan nap. So you've got Bills, Lions, Giants, Cowboys, Patriots, Vikings. What are you looking at for your Thanksgiving football slate? I mean, I'll, I'll watch probably a good portion of all of those games. Um, Giants, Cowboys is probably when I'll make the drive back home to Des Moines here. I won't uh, be staying all night in, uh, in Palo, Iowa, so I'll be making the drive home during Giants, Cowboys. I think that will probably be the least entertaining of the three games, to be quite honest. Um, Bills Lions has some intrigue because the Bills haven't looked good in recent weeks. And like you mentioned, the Lions are, have kind of turned it on three wins in a row. I don't think the Lions are going to win this game, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Bills just kind of pulled off a narrow escape in Detroit. The Bills were in Detroit this past week because of the weather in Buffalo, but they actually chose to go back to Buffalo, go back home after their game on Sunday, and then fly back to Detroit, which I thought was a little bit of a curious choice. Um, But why not just stay in Detroit for a few days? But Anyways, I think I think the Lions are are feisty enough um, to keep that kind of close. So line is nine and a half, and if you like to make financial uh, backings in sports, I would be very tempted to take Detroit plus nine and a half. Not Detroit to outright win, but Detroit to keep it close enough within that nine and a half point spread. Um, Giants, Cowboys, I'm all over the Cowboys in that one. I, I feel like the Cowboys really showed something last week in that absolute decimating of, of the Minnesota Vikings, 37 to three, I believe it was not, not even sure. The Vikings were never competitive in that game. Cowboys just absolutely blew them out in Minnesota. And I feel like the Cowboys are going to, going to start rolling here. So 
I've got Cowboys there. And then Patriots Vikings will be interesting because it's Kirk Cousins in prime time. It's Bill Belichick against Kirk Cousins in prime time. I really like the Patriots in this one. I think we're looking at back-to-back losses for the Minnesota Vikings because, again, we're getting primetime Kirk Cousins, which has been awful. So that's the way I see it is Bills barely, Cowboys by a lot, Patriots in a very closely contested game, but ultimately primetime Kirk Cousins is the undoing for the Minnesota Vikings in that one. I think I agree with you pretty much on these three the Lions, again, nobody talks about them because they're the Lions. They have a abysmal, looking a little better, four and six, but still not. I don't think they're a playoff contending team. They may get to seven wins, but these are two of the top eight scoring offenses in the league. The Bills at second, the Lions at eighth. And they've they've put up some points the last couple of weeks. They've gone over uh, 31 points for each of the last two games. I'm looking at like a 32-27 in favor of the Bills. I think they're going to give them everything they want. The Bills line is decent, but not amazing. They don't really have a running game outside of Josh Allen. So it's going to be, can he get the ball out and get it to the playmakers, Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, those guys. It'll be fun to watch Aiden Hutchinson go up against Josh Allen. A lot of people have not seen him yet. He was the big star coming out of college. But the last couple of weeks, he's really come on strong. So watch him get, this could be Aiden Hutchinson star-making moment as a rookie I'm with you. The Bills are still going to hang on, though, is the way I see this one. Maybe it's just because they're Cowboy fans and you don't want to deal with them, but I also could not care less about the Giants and Cowboys. I'll watch it because it's going to be on, and it's football, and it's Thanksgiving. But the bloom seems to be coming off the rose with the Giants. We've all moved on. Brian Dable's done a great job. He's rebuilding this team the next two or three years. They're probably going to be atop this NFC East. It's just tough to get behind Daniel Jones and the rest of this team that Dable seems to slowly be stripping down and rebuilding. Saquon Barkley will likely have a great day. Uh, CBS Sports, as I'm looking at this, is reporting that Micah Parsons is questionable 24 hours ahead of game time. Be shocked if he's not in there. I'm sticking with the Cowboys to win this one. Would you say the line was for Cowboys Giants? Uh, I don't think I said it's Dallas by 10. So I do think there's a little bit of a sneaky, you know, that half point there is, is really tricky. Um, I'd feel a lot better if it was Cowboys nine and a half, kind of like bills nine and a half. I probably feel like the Cowboys can take it. I still feel like the Cowboys can cover 10 points against the giants at home on Thanksgiving. And yeah, you said Michael Parsons questionable, I do think Michael Parsons will play um, on Thanksgiving. So, and Zeke is is getting back. Although Pollard looked amazing last week, so the Cowboys have two running backs now, and the offense is really cooking. So, I that's why I think uh, Cowboys are definitely going to win by ten. We can get at least. I, I see it like a 24 to 10 game. I think Saquon Barkley will get a touchdown and some yards in there outside of him. They don't really have a receiving core right now. This Cowboys team, I know everybody was down on them after the Packers game. And this is what really bothers me about sports talk and sports fans. Lose to the Packers in overtime. The Cowboys are terrible. Crush the Vikings. Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl. I think they've just kind of been trending along here. They're going to overtake the Giants for the division, but the Cowboys schedule Giants. Colts, Texans, all three of those, three straight home games. They go to Jacksonville, 
looking at four straight wins there, you're 11 and three. You do have Philly and Tennessee, two of the last games, and then you end at the Commanders, who they may be fighting for their playoff life in that last weekend. They've got that fantastic defensive front. If you're Dallas, though, that looks like an 11 and three record heading into Christmas. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think we're going to have a really nice late season game there with the Eagles that's really might decide the division at that point in time. So looking forward to Cowboys Eagles late season in a game that actually matters. And your, your nightcap there. I agree with pretty much everything you said. I'm so in on this Vikings team. I'm in love with them and everything they have. It looks like all the pieces are there. If, if our buddy primetime Kirk can finally do something, you're playing Belichick though. Luckily you are at home in Minnesota, but a big primetime game. You're playing against Belichick. The Patriots have looked decent as of late. This is a game that I think is probably going to be the ugliest. This is going to be like a 17 to 10 or a 13 10. One of these teams is going to win on a late field goal. Again, I'll watch, but eh, I, I want it to be the Vikings, but the smart money is on the Patriots. Yeah, absolutely. And I would, I would be all over the Vikings if this game was at noon on a Sunday. <laughs> right. If you put Kirk Cousins at noon on a Sunday, he's great. If you put him in primetime, he's not great. So it's the weirdest thing. Yeah, it's it's a very strange thing. Hey, there's actually college basketball, which we'll get to on Thanksgiving Day. A lot of good college basketball. So if you're not really feeling Giants, Cowboys, and Patriots, Vikings, like I'm not, um, I might be flipping to some college basketball on Thanksgiving Day instead. So no just, national dog show for you. Uh, no, absolutely no national dog show unless I can bet on it. Can I? Can I bet on the national dog show? Probably. I don't know, but that that feels like it has to be a thing somewhere. Yeah, well, if I can bet on it, then maybe <laughs> maybe I'll watch it. Maybe I'll maybe I'll give it a, a look. So, but anyways. My plug for college basketball is Giants, Cowboys, Patriots, Vikings. After this week, the Vikings are all afternoon games. They have TBD for the Colts and later the Bears. I'm wondering if those are potential flex games. I can't imagine they will be at this point in time for how bad the Colts and Bears are. So the Vikings, their latest start time is going to be 125 the rest of the season. Looking awfully good for the Vikings to be in your top two seeds for the NFC. Now, granted, playoffs are going to be a whole different story, but if you want the Vikings to go 14-3, and three, the schedule's sitting there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then we're going to put Kirk Cousins in primetime on Divisional Weekend, <laughs> and that's when the season's going to end. It, it, the story's already written. Just have to let it play out. Well, looking at the rest of the NFL schedule this week, kind of a mixed bag of games you get things that are like the Falcons versus Commanders, but I also think there's some juicy, fun matchups in here. I'm picking the Jags to upset the Ravens in a game that not a lot of people think will agree with me on. Bears, Jets, the ongoing saga with Zach Wilson, we'll get to that later. Looking at the actual good games, Bengals, Titans, a sneaky matchup you may not think about as marquee teams, but those are two teams deep in that AFC playoff hunt. That's going to be one of your best matchups on Sunday. You've got... The Rams and Kansas City Chiefs that I think everybody suspected may have been one seed versus one seed. The Rams, are they ever going to get it right? Is it too late for them to make anything happen? And then your night game, Andrews Green Bay Packers going against the Eagles. I'm still not giving up hope on Green Bay. I came on and said, this is the time. They had the great game against the Cowboys. They're finally going to get it right. 
the rookies are coming along. Christian Watson had a great game. Rodgers is locked in. And then they completely stunk it up last week. So too late for me. I, I went all in on the Packers two weeks ago, so I can't totally bail on them yet. But I think those are your really big games. Bengals, Titans, Rams, Chiefs, and Packers, Eagles. Yeah, I'm sadly, I am bailing on the Packers. It's four and seven. Um, I think they'll fight hard and keep this game against the Eagles close, but I don't think they'll win. And that'll be the final nail on the coffin um, for the Green Bay Packers on their 2022 season, unfortunately. So a lot of too many close losses needed those games against the lions commanders and the giants. Those are three really bad losses. Now. I mean, obviously if green Bay even wins two out of those three, I feel a lot better sitting at six and five and then probably six and six, you know, sitting around that 500 mark rather than four and seven. And I'm predicting four and eight. So I, I think the odds are, are very much against Green Bay and also Rashawn Gary done for the year. Packers just have absolutely no pass rush without Rashawn Gary. I mean, Kenny Clark is is incredible, but there's only so much he can do. I like Preston Smith as well, but it's it's not the same. Rashawn Gary was on an all pro pace before he went down with that injury against the Lions and Packers cannot rush the quarterback. And if you can't rush the quarterback in the NFL, you can't stop a lot of offenses. So I'm out on the Packers, unfortunately, even though they're my team, I'll, I'll watch plenty of their games, but I, I'm out. Um, yeah. Like you said, Bengals Titans going to be a great game. Jamar chase might be back this week. Sounds like Jamar chase might play against the Titans. And so that, could have a big impact whether or not he plays i think if he plays the Bengals win and i think if he doesn't that might be enough for titans to pull out a win at home so i i really think jamar chase is that impactful to this game so i will you know at this point in time knowing that jamar chase might play i'll go ahead and take the Bengals minus two i think they're going to cover win by three it's going to be a very close game but I think the Bengals will cover when Jamar Chase, when it's said that he's going to play. So, like you said, some interesting matchups. I do not agree with you on your prediction on Jaguars-Ravens. I think the Ravens will roll the Jaguars. The Jaguars are kind of a mess. We've talked about Trevor Lawrence, I think, last week. Whether or not he's the guy hasn't shown a whole lot. If he is going to show something, I guess now is the time. But I'm I'm not really feeling it. I think the Ravens are going to roll through the Jags on Sunday. And then Rams-Chiefs, yeah, was supposed to be an absolute great game. But sounds like we're going to get Patrick Mahomes versus Bryce Perkins Ooh. on Sunday. Um, we're not getting Matt Stafford because Matt Stafford's out. So I do not like the Rams' offense on Sunday. So if you've got any... Rams offensive players in your fantasy football lineups might be time to make alternate plans with every single one of them just based off the quarterback situation for the Rams behind Matt Stafford. It's, it's not pretty. So I would, um, you know, heavily favor the chiefs. I mean, 15 and a half is a huge number. I think the Rams will do enough to cover 
15 and a half. That's, that's a huge number. I think the Rams will do enough to cover that, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is a 14 point easy cruise win for the Kansas city chiefs on Sunday. I typically don't like to bury referees when we do this watching the chiefs, the Sunday night game with the Titans. And then this last week with the chargers, that team gets more calls than anybody I see in any pro sport. It is ridiculous. The, the phantom pass interferences or the plays that aren't called any of the rest of the game, but Oh, fourth quarter crunch time for the chiefs. Let's start throwing some litter on the field. It, it has really become apparent to me. I don't like to really bag on referees, but man, chiefs, chiefs are getting calls. You can't have the slightest you know, let your finger dangle too long on the forearm of a wide receiver and you're getting a PI. I haven't really noticed that, but I'll, I'll have to pay a little bit closer attention to that. And I could, I could see that. I could see that very much happening. Um, I don't shy away from bagging on refs, but also, you know, I think, I'm kind of a conspiracy guy when it comes to the NFL. I really think they're the NFL kind of has storylines that they want to play out, whether or not we believe it. Um, maybe part of the storyline is, you know, we want Mahomes to be very successful. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm searching for the angle kind of as I'm talking here, but I'm an NFL conspiracy theorist. I'm a professional sports conspiracy theorist. So, I could get on board with the Chiefs getting calls. I think that's definitely possible. I think you absolutely hit on what I was the the direction I was heading. I think you very much picked it up. Uh, Quick, getting back to your Packers here. So you think they're going to lose this week? So they would be at four and eight. You correct? You're picking the Eagles. Yeah, I'm taking the Eagles by like a like a three point game, maybe even like a last second field goal heartbreak for the Packers. Unfortunately. So the Packers would then have to win out essentially to even have a chance. Nine and eight would potentially have you in playoff conversation, depending on how the NFC shakes out. We'll get there in a minute. So after this week, the Packers go to Soldier Field to play the Bears. You would expect to win that one. We've said that in other games. The Bears may or may not be without Justin Fields, depending on how his shoulder is. So if we give them a win there, then they have their buy, one of the latest buys in the league in week 14. You come back from the buy, your four remaining games, Rams, at Miami, Vikings, Lions. You'd have to win all four of those. Luckily, three of them are at home, but you do go to Miami on Christmas Day and have to deal with who we think are a very good Dolphins team. Yeah, we well, we know. I mean, we're 10 games in now. We have a large enough sample size. Dolphins are seven and three. We know that the Dolphins are actually a good team now. I I can confidently say that. So, and I think, you know, past this Eagles game, that's the scariest game remaining on the schedules in Miami on Christmas Day. Packers sometimes have trouble in warm weather games, believe it or not. Aaron Rodgers has had his share of struggles in Florida, although it's mainly been Tampa Bay. So I think Aaron Rodgers has played better in Miami than Tampa. He always struggles in Tampa for some reason. They were able to pull it out this year against Tampa. But, yeah, you're right. I 
I really think Green Bay is going to win all the rest of their games except for that that Dolphins game. I got that as a coin flip. I think Green Bay should win the rest of their games. Even that Vikings home game, that could be a situation where maybe the Vikings are, are looking ahead a little bit or seeding is kind of wrapped up because they're either comfortably in the one seed or the two seed possibly, but also it's in Lambeau. So I, I really feel good about the Packers' chances against the Bears and the Rams, definitely. Um, but that Dolphins game is a toss-up, and then I feel good about the Packers at home against the Vikings and the Lions. So it really comes down to this week and then the Christmas Day matchup as to whether or not the Packers can make the playoffs. I mean, if they win out, I think there's a there's definitely a good chance that the Packers make the playoffs, but I'm not expecting green Bay to win out. I thought they would win this week against the Titans. And that was kind of my hope. Uh, Once I saw them get buried by the Titans, I felt like that was kind of maybe not quite the nail in the coffin, but close to it. Well, we'll use that as our segue into talking about the playoff picture here. Eagles still sitting at number one Vikings there at two. The Niners have moved ahead in the West. They look like the team to beat in that division now that they've gotten healthy as the three. And then Tampa Bay in the very, very bad NFC South. Watch the Buccaneers. They're a team I could see catching fire now. Tom Brady is always better in November and December than he is September, October. Tampa Bay may rattle off some wins here and move up. I feel pretty good about those four sticking in and Dallas there at the five. It's when you get down to the 6-7 with the Giants and the Seahawks. Just on the outside looking in right now, you have the Commanders at 6-5, and five, and somehow the Atlanta Falcons are 5-6, and six, a team who we thought, oh, let's throw in the, the rookie quarterback, Marcus Mariota, did what he needed to do for us. That NFC South is winnable. I don't see it happening because Tom Brady is playing for the Buccaneers. However, congratulations to the Falcons for hanging in there. We talked about these suddenly hot Detroit Lions, and then your Packers are down there with the Cardinals, Saints, Rams. Looking at the top, if we figure 9-8 and eight gets you at least on the cusp of being in there, most of your teams in the playoffs are six-plus wins. That's a Herculean task if you're maybe outside of that top eight, which the Packers, Rams, Cardinals are. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sitting in there at four and six is Detroit. If they were somehow able to pull off this upset against Buffalo on Sunday, I might start thinking that Detroit has a chance at the playoffs. Legitimately has a chance at the playoffs. And that would be something. But I think it's possible, like you said, the Giants and the Seahawks are maybe coming back down to earth a little bit. It's really going to be a battle between, I think, those two and then maybe the Commanders or the Falcons for those final two spots. I, I think those are kind of the four teams, maybe the Lions, maybe the Lions, but I'm ruling out the Packers. But I really think it's those four, the six through nine teams currently that are battling it out for those last two spots. Controversial opinion, Dallas is going to get the one seed in the NFC. Man. um, They get through this week and they take down the Giants. 
And then again, Colts, Titans, Jags. You do have Eagles, Tennessee. We get to that at 11 spot. If if that's Philadelphia, you're head-to-head. Winner gets the one seed. I'm going with the Cowboys. Philly's got a bit of a haul here down the stretch. They they have their, their cupcakes, but they do have to deal. You've got the Packers. You've got the Titans. You have to, they go to Dallas for that game. You have the Saints, unless they've thrown in the towel by that point in time. I think this is going to be a closer race than people are giving it credit for. Those two, and then quietly your Minnesota Vikings could sneak in there and the NFC East could beat each other up. I like the Cowboys to come along and snag that one seed. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's an outside chance, but you're really uh, banking on the Cowboys winning out and the Titans taking down the Eagles because I I don't believe that the Packers are going to have the goods to win this week. And I think the rest the Eagles are going to take care of the rest of their schedule beyond the Cowboys, which I think is a toss-up because it's in Dallas. I could see the Cowboys winning that game. I don't know if I see a Cowboys one seed. I think they're a little bit – you talked about the, the good and the bad, right? Lost to the Packers – destroy the absolutely destroy the Vikings. That's a little bit of the inconsistency. That's why I think the Cowboys probably aren't going to be the one seed. They're going to just drop a game to someone they really shouldn't drop a game to. And that's why they won't make it. But I respect you for holding that controversial hot take and flowing it out there. Now, Tampa Bay, should we just pencil them in to win the, NFC South, they haven't been great early. They are playing in the NFC South. Uh, what does Seth Davis say every March when a team advances? Sharpie? Okay. <laughs> let's let's Sharpie the Buccaneers. Uh, you know, we're good. I'm good. I've seen enough of every other team in the division to know who's going to win the division. So let's, let's go ahead and uh, put the Buccaneers as the NFC South winners with the Sharpie. Over in the AFC, I don't think it's a secret. The Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. I consider them the best team in the NFL right now. I keep thinking they're going to drop off and say every year, this is the year, this is the year. I've decided as long as Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Andy Reid are there, they're fine. Running backs change, receivers change, linemen change, other coaches change. As long as those three are there, they're fine. Miami looks like the real deal. They've got the two seed and leading that division. That's going to be big. Buffalo, after a couple bad weeks, they've dropped all the way down to the five. Miami, two. Tennessee, three. Baltimore, four. Those are your four division leaders. Buffalo with first wild card. The Patriots there at six. Nobody's really talked about the Patriots. And then Cincinnati has clawed their way back into the seven. And I think they are far better than the seven seed. The much maligned uh, Jets, that seems to be the talk of sports radio this week, is the downfall of Zach Wilson and what's going on with the Jets. Great defense, but no offense. And then the Chargers, everybody's darling Chargers. I can't say I'm surprised, but they're on the outside looking in. This seems to be the Chargers' M.O. every year. And the rest, uh, nobody else from that group is going to make a run. Colts, Jags, Raiders, Broncos, Steelers. Sorry. it's. It, I think we talked about this last week. It's a nine-horse race for seven spots. And one of those horses is the Jets. Yeah, and given just the general dysfunction that seems to be going on uh, in Jets land now, I'm not going to quite cross them off, but 
I think it's maybe more of eight horses and, and one, uh, I don't know, one uh, very sickly horse eight, trying eight to horses. find trying to find their feeding, their footing. Yes. So I really think it's just a matter of are, like, the Patriots going to fall off um, in order for the Chargers to make it? If not, which I just said, Patriots win over the Vikings, which I think would go a long way towards the Patriots making the playoffs. So Chargers might be on the outside looking in, but they're going to be in a real battle. They need the Patriots probably to fall off the map in order to make it in the playoffs. The Patriots have a brutal schedule. I just pulled this up at Minnesota, which whichever way it goes is a tough game. They still have to play Buffalo twice. They play Cincinnati and Miami. So that's one, two, three, that's five daunting games. You get to slip in the Cardinals and the Raiders in there back to back road trips. Might as well stay in the desert for a week. That's five out of seven games are going to be pretty tough for the Patriots to hang in that spot. Yeah, I agree. I guess I hadn't looked at the schedule. That that may be enough for the Chargers to get into that seven spot there with uh, the Patriots having such a tough schedule. Bengals have There's a tough no schedule, way. too, down the stretch. The Chargers do? Uh, Bengals. I'm working my way to the Chargers, but Bengals have Titans, Chiefs, Bucks, Patriots, Bills, and Ravens. Hmm. So well, all, all these teams are going to be at least battle-tested, whichever one of them comes out of this. A- absolutely. Um, but like like you said, I think the Bengals are a little bit better than that seven seed would indicate at this current point in time. So I could see the Bengals securing their spot and having it locked up. So I still think it's a, a Patriots-Chargers battle for that last spot in the AFC. I think everything else, everyone else beyond that is kind of locked in. And it's just going to be a matter of seeding for those top five. Chiefs probably will lock up the one seed. I feel confident in feeling that the Chiefs are going to lock up the one seed. But that two through five might get a little might get a little dicey and could be anyone's ball game there. A a two part final question, then we'll move on to basketball. Who wins the AFC East and who wins the AFC North? Okay. I'm gonna take Bengals and the AFC North. I think they're going to come back and win the AFC North. Um, in the AFC East, I will take the Miami Dolphins. Ooh. I believe in the Dolphins. I've been a firm believer in the Dolphins since before the season started. Not going to back out on them now. I've seen their offense at work. I think they have one of the best offenses in the NFL. And I think the addition of Bradley Chubb was a very, very good one for them. Helped bolster their defense, which their secondary was already really good. But adding a bit of a pass rush to that is just phenomenal for the Dolphins. And I think is a move that was going that is going to win them the division. Old choices here. I like it. Yep. A, moving on from... The pro game here, we're going to talk NBA and a new feature we're launching on the show this week. Andrew's NBA top five power rankings. One, nobody else is watching the Thunder play the Bulls. Andrew is watching the Thunder play the Bulls. 
So we're going to get his take here, where we're at league-wide on the top five teams in the NBA. And this is where we turn it over to our basketball expert. All right, let's go with, man, I had a real debate here at number five. I'm going to go five to one. But first, I'm going to give you some teams that just missed the cut. And that's the Cavs, the Hawks, and the Grizzlies. Those are my three teams that are just out, out of the top five. The 11 and six Cavs, the number three seed in the East. Yeah, just out of the top five for me. I put the Nuggets in over the Cavs. I'm giving the Nuggets a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Nikola Jokic has been injured, and I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I know they're 10 and 8. They're in that 7 to 10 range, but this is a power ranking, right? This isn't a just a rip off of the standings. So when fully healthy, I would slight I would give the Nuggets a slight edge. We've seen Jamal Murray. He's been on a little bit of a minutes restriction coming back from the injury. Michael Porter Jr., same way. But as those kind of training wheels come off for those guys, the Nuggets are a very complete team, and they're the team that made the Western Conference Finals, right? They were they were very close to making the NBA Finals in that bubble when they were fully healthy with Murray, Porter Jr., and Jokic, right? And then they've added Aaron Gordon to that mix. I like what they've got in Bruce Brown, Bones Highland. When he's healthy, he needs to be back in there for the Nuggets. But, uh, yeah, I like that Nuggets team at number five. Number four, this is the team that's the hottest Uh, Oh, boy. Is this it? Is this it? And I think you knew this was coming. Oh, boy. When he asked me to do that, number four team in the NBA currently right now is the Sacramento Kings. Oh, the beam team. The beam team. Uh, wins over the Cavs, the Warriors, and then last night the Grizzlies, a hard-fought win at Memphis with John Morant. No Desmond Bain for the Grizzlies, which I think was a factor in that ball game, but the Kings have the best offense in the NBA in terms of points per game, offensive efficiency and effective field goal percentage. Their defense is creeping more towards middle of the pack. Now they were definitely at the bottom at the start of the year. And when they were three and six, but over the seven game run, and really they've won 10 of their last 12 beyond the seven game run. So it's, We've got a big enough sample size to say that the Kings are a legitimate team here. Um, De'Aaron Fox playing at an all-star level, doing things very efficiently, shooting over 40% from three. He's a career 32% free throw shoot, um, three-point shooter. He's also increased the free throw percentage as well. Uh, he can get to the lane whenever he wants. And Sabonis, very willing passer. That's actually probably his best attribute to be quite honest. And he he's rebounding the ball. Well, can score inside has even hit threes in the stretch. Kevin Herter shooting five threes per game and shooting 50% from three through 16 games, which again, not a small sample size, not seeing he's going to continue to shoot at a 50% clip 
for the whole season. Um, then Malik Monk, the playmaking off the bench, Keegan Murray, uh, has had some good games, some bad games, a little bit of a slump. I, I suspect Keegan's going to pick it up maybe as the season goes on. Harrison Barnes has been absolutely phenomenal at that small forward slash power forward spot. He's had some 20-point games. He had a zero-point game on November 7th against the Warriors in a game that the Kings barely lost. And since then, Harrison Barnes has been on an absolute tear so this Kings team is legit. They have um, five legitimate NBA starters and four or five NBA legitimate players off the bench. And Mike Brown is doing a heck of a coaching job. He is he's a really good coach. So I I don't know if the winning will continue. I do think that there's a chance that maybe the winning streak gets snapped tonight against Atlanta in Atlanta. If not tonight, then they ha- they go to Boston on Friday, and that's maybe where it could end, which is fine. But already at 10-6, and six, the over-under on wins this season for the Kings was 33-and-a-half. We're about a third of the way there. I know this is a little high and the Kings could absolutely slide down these rankings and it wouldn't surprise me by the time we get to the middle of the year and end of the year, but I'm putting them there because I think what they're doing deserves some credit, some respect, and they look like a legitimate playoff team. Maybe not a play in team, maybe a top six. There's real potential that the Kings could make the top six. All right. Enough about the Kings. Let's move up. Number three, I've got Phoenix. They're currently sitting number one in the Western Conference standings. I believe they're 11 and six. Um, Devin Booker has turned it on. CP3 has been a little bit underwhelming. Aiton's been good, providing what he needs and what he needs to do. I, I really feel like the Suns, maybe they aren't quite back to the level where they were at when they faced the Bucks in the NBA Finals, made the NBA Finals and pushed the Bucks to six games. But it does feel like they're heavily in contention. And I think the best, most well-rounded West Conference team at this point in time. Will it stay that way? I'm not sure. Um, but good for them fighting through kind of all the drama of the offseason and coming out and putting on a good show early on through 17 games in the regular season. So that's my five, four, three. And then my top two, you can probably guess it because we're going to go Eastern conference for both. Number two, I'm going to take the Boston Celtics second best offense in the NBA top five defense. Tatum is playing at a superstar level for sure will probably be in the MVP conversation, although I don't think he'll be the one to win it. He'll he'll be in that MVP conversation all year, as he very well should be. Jalen Brown has been phenomenal. You've got the defense of Marcus Smart, Brogdon coming off the bench. Um, when they get Robert Williams back, their defense is going to ratchet up another level, and it wouldn't be surprising if I put them in my top spot as we continue to do this. I'll move the Celtics and the team that's in number one, which I'm sure you can probably guess by now, 
who's in number one at this point in time. But I think it'll flip back and forth as to who the best team in the NBA is a lot. And it's going to be between uh, two teams in the Eastern Conference. So love the Celtics and what they're doing early on and, and think they're a real contender. The number one team is the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis has even had a little bit of a slump, but the Bucks seem to keep rolling on and keep racking up the wins anyways, and they're still looking to get Chris Middleton back. Um, so they're 13-4 and four right now with no Chris Middleton. Giannis is putting up solid numbers, needs to get the mid-range work, and needs to get his free throw percentage up a little bit if he can. Um, but the defense has been phenomenal. The offense leaves a little bit to be desired, but that's going to improve, I think, significantly once Chris Middleton is back. But the defense has been absolutely on point. Brooke Lopez is playing at like an all NBA level, maybe like a second or third team level right now, which has been just absolutely staggering. I did not expect that from Brooke Lopez. He's going to be in the running for the Defensive Player of the Year award, along with Giannis, along with Gobert, Smart, Holiday, the usual suspects. But you see why the Bucks defense is so good, because they have three guys who could legitimately win the Defensive Player of the Year every year uh, between Giannis, Lopez, Holiday, And Middleton, good defender as well. Wes Matthews, decent defender. So... Um, Connaughton's back. Portis has been playing well. Bucks are just deep and very talented, and their defense is absolutely phenomenal, and that's why I've got them here at uh, the number one spot. Hard to disagree with a lot of that. I would potentially slide in my Cavaliers there at number five. It does feel like in the East, Boston and Miami are, or Miami, Milwaukee are running away from the pack. The West feels a lot more condensed. You have this weird situation where the Pacers are in the four seed. I know we're early and they have a chance to fall off. The Spurs are doing it the right way. The Spurs have lost five in a row or one and nine in their last 10. They started out in the first 10 games as a, like the two seed in the West. They're doing the tanking the right way. The Pacers and the Jazz are still figuring out how to tank and get high draft picks. The West just kind of feels like everybody's almost on even footing. Phoenix looks a little bit better than their crowd right now. It is a big glob of teams right there. Do I, I don't know that I trust the Pelicans or the Blazers. Dallas seems to be underachieving. Memphis is a little down. Minnesota's not as good as we thought they'd be. And then when you have Golden State and the Lakers out of the playoff picture right now, especially the Lakers, there's needs to be mass overhaul there as a LeBron apologist. I can't explain that. The West really just kind of feels like everybody's really jammed together right now and the teams that are at the top. The Clippers, who uh, is Kawhi Leonard playing tonight? I'm not sure currently if Kawhi is playing or not. It wouldn't – yeah, well, I think he <laughs> actually might be playing tonight. You never Expe- know. Expected to be expected. That doesn't guarantee anything, but expected to be out till the 25th of November. So, shocking. The Clippers are the four seed, but without him, I don't know that I trust them. The West, the West with your uh, your beloved Kings and the Suns, just I don't I don't see a whole lot of difference from one to thirteen in the West right now. And then there's the Rockets. Yeah, um, well, I think I think there is a little bit of a difference between, you know, the Rockets are definitely in the bottom. 
and I've got them like the bottom of the NBA. But the Lakers, Spurs, and OKC, I think you can count out, right? But the Warriors are 8-10 and 10 right now, and I, I'm trying to think about who the team is that's going to drop out from the top 10 in the West to give the Warriors a spot in the playoffs. Cause I do think the Warriors are, are going to make it. And I, I can't really identify who that team is. Cause I, I think I keep thinking it's going to be Utah, but they're 12 and seven and they keep rolling. I mean, at, at some point, maybe Utah could fall off. I think um, very fluid, but I would expect that, you know, those 11 teams, it's those 11 teams for 10 spots. I do think there is some separation between like Phoenix and say Minnesota, right? I don't think uh, Phoenix and Minnesota are on the same level. Also, I have the Grizzlies uh, in my top eight in terms of power rankings. I know what the record says, but also they've been on the wrong side of a couple of injuries. John Morant was out for a couple games. Desmond Bain has been out for the past few games. When John Desmond are, are in, they're probably either the second or the third best team in the West. Same with the Nuggets. Again, a lot of this is going to come down to which teams are, are healthy at the right time. If the Nuggets and Grizzlies are healthy sooner rather than later, I think we'll kind of see a, a top three of Suns, Nuggets, Grizzlies in some order with like the Kings, the Clippers, the Pelicans, the Blazers, the Mavericks fighting it out after that. So I think um, – and the Warriors too – I expect them to turn it on at some point in the season. And I don't know about making the top six potentially, but they'll definitely be in the playoffs and they will not miss the playoffs. So I'm not, I'm not out on the Warriors at all yet. So I have a question about the Lakers and more of a, it's a sports philosophy question as a fan. So the Lakers, the Kobe era Lakers had the back-to-back championships in nine and 10. And then they just kind of rode out the Kobe Powell era. They won the division, made the playoffs in 11, 12, and then they kind of fizzled out by 13. So basically great from 2000 to 2012. And then from 2014 through 2019, they were one of the worst teams in the entire Western conference, 14th or 15th in almost every year. And then when LeBron gets there, they win the title in uh, the 2019-2020 season. As a fan, do you think it's do you care if your team is bad for five to seven years if it means you get a championship at the end, or would you rather be? I'm trying to think who's a good NBA comparison. Maybe like the Blazers. We're consistent. We're in it every year. We're in the playoffs. We're going to get 40, 45 wins, but we're never going to get to the mountaintop. I would rather have the years of bad knowing that there's a championship at the end of the tunnel rather than being on that treadmill of what I'll call um, mediocrity. Um, Cause that's kind of where the blazers find themselves, right? Not good enough to get over the top, get over the hump and win a championship because they're never bad enough to get themselves in the position to have the draft picks that they can trade for a superstar or 
draft a superstar to go alongside Lillard. Um, they're just able to make moves to be very good, which is a tough place to be in the NBA. So, yeah, you've either got to – I think you really got to bottom out to collect the assets that you need to put together a championship roster. So the Lakers did that. And I think their fans are okay with a championship. Now, Lakers fans are maybe not the most reasonable fan base. Well, so there's that. Um, they were th- probably thinking, you know, one championship would lead to two or three more with this LeBron Anthony Davis combo. They were thinking they're going to run the league. Absolutely. Which I thought, you know, they'd be in contention the, the year after they won the championship, but there were some other poor roster moves made, which we've talked about, you know, the Caruso thing, Contavious Caldwell Pope. I think uh, some very poor roster moves were made by the Lakers, but that's neither here nor there. To answer your question, yes, be bad, win the championship. (laughs) We're going to keep our basketball talk rolling here. We're going to go to the college game. We have not given college basketball the – Attention, we were planning on, we have a lot of that happening. Men's college basketball, women's college basketball, NHL, I promise we'll get on. I've got UFC I want to get to here in a couple of weeks. For this week's show, we're going to focus on the college game. And we're into that part of the season where there's all these uh, tournaments all over the country and down in the Caribbean. was a Maui gym was playing last night when I was playing trivia at the bar. Uh, Portland's hosting one. I think Vegas has one. So you get these these great non-conference matchups where the big power teams play each other. So the top teams have really been beating up on each other. Heading into the season, you had North Carolina was the runaway favorite. Gonzaga two, Houston three, Kentucky four, and then defending champion Kansas at five. As we're sitting here, uh, ESPN with the week three poll, North Carolina still at one, Houston at two, Kansas moved up to three, Texas the big climber to four, and Virginia also moving up there with some great early wins at five. What are you seeing? What's been your experience so far? Any surprises, letdowns, exciting things that have happened here in the first three weeks of college basketball and a big weekend for the sport? Yeah, I think a surprising team maybe not the most surprising because they did bring quite a few pieces back but they added a sensational freshman is houston their defense is absolutely phenomenal but also they have the offense to go with it now with jarris walker joining marcus sasser and tremont mark houston is at number two in the ap poll but if i had to do a college basketball power ranking houston would be my top team and vegas has them as the favorite to win it right now to win the title right now at plus 230. Um, And then I think a surprising thing for me has been the Texas Longhorns. I I thought they might be good, maybe better than last year with the addition of Tyrese Hunter. Look away, Iowa State fans. I'm going to talk about Tyrese Hunter. Sorry, don't listen to this portion of the podcast if you don't like hearing good things about that guy. Um, He's been... Tyrese Hunter was absolutely phenomenal in Texas's win against uh, Gonzaga. They absolutely blew Gonzaga off the court. Um, so I really think Texas has revealed themselves as a legitimate contender. So they're one of the surprising teams. We've got KU up there at number three. 
that's where they are right now. But I think KU is a little bit overrated this year. I actually think Texas is the best team in the Big 12 at this current point in time. Best basketball team in the Big 12. Virginia, a little bit of a surprise. They bought they brought back a lot of guys from last year's team. But last year's team wasn't a great team, to be quite honest. Maybe just another year of playing together and experience together has really – change things for Virginia. I think they've been a nice and pleasant surprise. And then sensational game last night that I watched between the Creighton Blue Jays and Arkansas, two teams that I think have legitimate final four aspirations. And maybe in Arkansas's case, they're even one of those national title contenders. Arkansas remade their whole roster. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but essentially everybody but one guy from last year's Arkansas team that was really good is gone. Um, Deonta Davis, I believe is the only guy that's back this year. And so it's a whole bunch of, of talented freshmen and talented transfers that Eric Musselman has sort of blended and they lost a close game to Creighton in the Maui Invitational last night which was a, a nice back-and-forth game. Creighton won 90-87. Creighton's a phenomenal team. They're playing Arizona right now, actually, as we're speaking in the in the tournament final at Maui, and they're having a little bit of a struggle with Arizona. Arizona's very good, but um, I think that's kind of been the surprising thing is I think Arkansas is Final Four contender, national title contender, and they're looking that way without possibly the number three overall pick, certainly a top five overall pick in Nick Smith Jr. So once they get Nick Smith Jr. back and worked into the lineup, they're going to be a very, very tough team. So mark your calendars for Arkansas-Kentucky basketball, (laughs) question mark, because um, you think about SEC football, but Arkansas-Kentucky basketball this year, Mark your calendars for that one because that's going to be a matchup of two teams that legitimately could win win it all, and they also have plenty of NBA draft picks. And dare I say, Arkansas has more NBA draft picks on their team than Kentucky does, which is I don't know the last time you could say that, but we are certainly in that spot. And Creighton's just a very experienced and deep team. They also added the Summit League Player of the Year from South Dakota State, Baylor Shireman, very smooth, left-handed 6'8 player that can shoot the three from literally anywhere in the gym and is just a a great, great player. So they added him to a team of juniors and seniors that are coming back with a lot of experience, and they go eight or nine deep. They have a very skilled team. Creighton's a legitimate Final Four team as well. So I I don't know how many t- times I've said legitimate Final Four team in the past five minutes because there's about seven to eight teams, I think, that have revealed themselves here early on in the season as being a team that could be at the Final Four that could then win it all in March. Let's do a quick run through here, a rapid fire for your conference champion predictions. We'll go with the bigger conferences the American, you have Houston. I'm just going to assume that you think Houston's going to beat ECU, Memphis, Wichita State, Cincinnati. 
Yeah, I do think Houston's going to run away with that conference. The ACC could be a little bit up in the air with Coach K gone at Duke. Notre Dame starting out really well. The aforementioned number one ranked North Carolina, Virginia, Duke. Uh, just kind of going through some of the the headline teams here. Louisville, weirdly 0-5 to start the year. It, it, it feels like UNC, Virginia, Duke from a, a, a very outsider perspective. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think it's going to be UNC because they have the experience. They're going to go ahead and rack up the wins um, early on, whereas Duke might take some losses early on just because they have a lot of freshmen who are very talented. Um, Yeah, they have a lot of very talented freshmen, but it's going to take a while for those freshmen to kind of blend and come together. And I think Duke's going to be a lot better as we hit that February, March than they are in that November, December, January range. And because of that, I'll go ahead and give the edge to North Carolina. So I'm going to take North Carolina and the ACC. In the Big East, which may be a seven or eight bid league. You just heard Andrew profess his love for Creighton. We also have St. John starting out six and zero, UConn five and zero. Some of the old reliables: Xavier Butler, Seton Hall, Marquette, Villanova, all in there. Yeah, Villanova is very, very much down this year. This is not your typical Villanova team. No more Jay Wright. No more Jay Wright, but they also lost talent from last year's team and and hadn't replaced that talent. So I think this is a Creighton and Xavier race between those two teams. And so I'm going to go ahead and take the Blue Jays. I've seen all these. I've seen all these teams, um, top to bottom. I've watched them play a couple times each. And so I'm going to go ahead and take a take the Creighton Blue Jays to win the Big East. All right, Big Ten time. Are you going to tell us it's all about the Hawks? I am not going to tell you it's all about the Hawks, although I am going to pick the Hawks to win the Big Ten. Ooh. Um, Basically, nobody in the Big Ten has played anybody yet except for Michigan State. So, like, all these teams have immaculate records. Like, Rutgers is 4-1 and and Nebraska is 3-1, and so the Big Ten has not played anybody. Well, Indiana played Xavier on the road, who I think is a very good team, and we're able to go ahead and, and get a win on the road. Ohio State was in Maui. They went 2-1 and one in Maui. And Wisconsin is right now in the battle for Atlantis. Michigan State... Um, Michigan State, obviously, good non-conference schedule. And Iowa's non-conference schedule is about to kick way up this week. They're going to the Emerald Coast Classic on Friday. They'll play Clemson and then TCU, although TCU has a couple guys out right now. Um, so maybe TCU won't be at the full strength. Um, so I think Iowa is going to win the Emerald Coast Classic just because TCU is not at full strength. But a good challenge with Clemson and TCU for Iowa, but then they play – Duke and Madison Square Garden, and that is going to be quite the sight to see Iowa versus Duke and Madison Square Garden in December. And I think, like I like I told you, Duke is very young, very inexperienced. Iowa's not. They have an experienced team, a very talented roster. 
I fully expect Iowa to go into Madison Square and beat Duke. Um, it's going to be a very interesting Big Ten race. I think it's Iowa, Indiana, Michigan State, Illinois, Purdue. Any one of those teams could win it. So I am going to um, take Iowa just because I think it's it's simply it's a wide-open race. I really like the way Tony Perkins has elevated his game. Iowa has playmaking guards, point guards that can get into the lane, make plays for themselves, make plays for others. And then Chris Murray, sensational the other night against Omaha. Again, it was just Omaha, but 30 points on 13 for 16 shooting. He's picked right up where Keegan Murray left off, and he's not the post scorer that Keegan was in college. He's got more of a perimeter skill set. But this Iowa team is is very dangerous, and the defense has ratcheted up as well. The defense looks much, much better than last year. So this is going to be a, a tough Iowa team to play, and I'll, I'll go ahead and take them to win the conference in the regular season. Moving on to the Big 12, we touched on a little bit Kansas and Texas at the top right now. Can't count out Baylor. And then probably surprisingly, I'd throw TCU in that race Big 12 is always a little bit unpredictable. I think you have those three standing out at the top with maybe the Horned Frogs as your dark horse. I think this is a Texas-Baylor race. Um, I'm not maybe necessarily counting out Kansas, but I, I don't think they're on quite the same level as Texas and Baylor. So Texas with this talented roster may be one of the more talented rosters that Chris Beard has ever had, and I really like Chris Beard as a coach. Overall, so I think this is a vote of confidence in Chris Beard more than anything else. So give me Texas in the Big 12. I'm going all the way down here to just cherry picking the biggest ones, all the way down to the Pac 12 per CBS Sports' alphabetizing. Arizona sitting at their 5 and 0, and another conference where I don't know that we've had enough of a schedule to really get a beat on where these teams are. Arizona feels like kind of the Presumptive favorite, UCLA is ranked. Oregon's typically always in the conversation. What are we seeing out of the Big 12? Or not Big 12, Pac-12. Arizona, UCLA, Oregon race here. Um, Arizona looks really good right now. Playing in the, in Maui, they've won two games, looking to win a third here against the Creighton team that I really like. And they're, they're kind of taking care of business right now. We'll see if it stays that way. But even if not, they're playing a good a good game against a, a great Creighton team that will certainly do wonders for the Arizona resume if they're able to pull out this win, actually. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take Arizona to win the Pac-12. And down to the SEC, you talked a little bit about it, this support. Surprisingly, suddenly deep SEC. Auburn's been good the last couple of years. Alabama, Arkansas, Kentucky, Florida, and Tennessee are usually contenders. Feels like there's six teams who could make a claim or their case to be the SEC champion. I think this is an Arkansas-Kentucky race. Um, Space off what I've seen from Arkansas, a lot of this is going to come down to the health of Nick Smith. If Nick Smith is going to play, I believe he will. I don't think the injury is is very serious, so I think he will be playing soon, and that's going to put Arkansas over the top. Give me Arkansas to win the SEC. 
And who are you picking to win the West Coast Conference? Um, I'll go ahead and take the Gonzaga Bulldogs on a wild guess. Smart choice. So I want to do a a quick two minutes here in college football, but anything else on the hoops that we need to get to? Um, Watch hoops this week. Uh, It's feast week. If you're bored of football, watch some hoops. The Phil Knight Invitational, the Phil Knight Legacy, going to be a good turn good tournament the battle for atlantis a lot of good basketball going on on thursday and friday actually in the college world so go ahead and watch hoops if you're bored of giants cowboys and patriots vikings which you will be so um hoops will be there for you and it will be very exciting so um yeah that's just my plug watch college hoops it matters right here in november and after you've had nfl and college basketball thursday friday Friday into Saturday, we get the college football slate and huge rivalry weeks with major playoff implications. You have Georgia and Georgia Tech. The big game between Ohio, Michigan State, probably the most important one this weekend. USC, Notre Dame, Alabama, and Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Clemson and North uh, South Carolina and their in-state rival. Oregon and Oregon State in the can't call it the Civil War anymore. Kansas and K-State. Washington and Washington State in the Apple Cup. Florida and Florida State in the rivalry I should know the name of. NC, NC State. And the best name, Ole Miss and Mississippi State playing in the Egg Bowl on Friday. So full slate of games Friday, full slate of games Saturday. A lot of postseason implications. I don't really have a question. Just hooray for college football. Are we going to skip over the, the biggest game of the week, the Heroes game? Iowa-Nebraska on Black Friday? We, is the Heroes game? Is that what we call it? I thought it was Farmageddon. Uh, no, that's a that's Kansas State-Iowa State. That's Farmageddon. Hmm. The Heroes game. The High V Heroes game. Nebraska-Iowa. In Iowa City. Um, you know, I think Iowa will take care of business pretty easily. Big Ten West on the line. Nebraska, not much to play for. Also, not a very good team. So I, I get why you skipped over it. But, yeah, Big Ten West on the line. So definitely the second biggest game in the Big Ten between that Ohio State-Michigan game that obviously has a lot of playoff implications. And there's a, a game that I skipped over, Tulane-Cincinnati. may sound weird to say. They're both in the top 25. The Who's ever going to get that group of five bid to the New Year Six? A lot of that hinges on that Tulane-Cincinnati game. So if you're looking for more Friday, you, you're eating leftover cold turkey sandwiches. That's a good way to start your day. I've seen enough Cincinnati. Go <laughs> Tulane. Let's get Tulane in the New Year Six. Let's, let's go. Now, a huge weekend for the playoffs. We assume and expect Georgia to win easy. The Ohio State-Michigan winner will be the two seed. If TCU wins, which knowing Iowa State, this is where they'll finally choose to play well and ruin everything for the entire Big 12. If TCU wins, they would move up to the three, and this is where it gets dicey for that four seed. I think there's 10 teams who you could argue have a chance for this. That's being generous. That's if Washington wins and then wins the Pac-12, that they would give them a serious consideration, stuff like that. I think you have 10 teams who are really in this thing or you know, could make a case for leaving LSU at five, bumping Alabama to seven. They're, it feels like the committee is really positioning Alabama for all these pieces to fall around them. Like, oh, USC loses. We'll just slide them ahead. LSU loses to Georgia. Let's just slide them up again. L- TCU loses once or twice. Let's just slide Alabama up. 
Clem, if you're Clemson, you have, you have to be thinking, wait, we're the eight seed or eight ranked team and we're behind all these. That I would rather have Clemson in than two or three loss Alabama, whatever it may be. So huge implications for the playoff. It, I think it'd be easy. Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State winner, TCU, and then if USC wins out the Pac-12, that's an easy four. But as you mentioned, your Hawkeyes are somehow still in the Big Ten West. So is it Iowa and Purdue? Are those the two still on the hunt? Well, Iowa controls their own destiny, right? So if Iowa wins, they're in. Um, if Iowa and Purdue lost and then Illinois won, Illinois would win the West. If uh, Purdue won and then Iowa lost, Purdue would win the West. Um, so that's that's it. And then I think if um, – yeah, I think Minnesota was eliminated by virtue of their loss to Iowa last week. So uh, I could be wrong, could double-check me on that, but also I think it's kind of a uh, – I don't want to say this, you know, I don't want to get too full of myself here, but I, I don't really see Nebraska coming into Iowa City on Black Friday with the uh, Big Ten West on the line and, and squeaking out a win. I just – I don't really – quite see it so i think we can put to bed maybe these other scenarios because we'll see iowa against michigan ohio state winner so and let's that, go that would be the pandemonium right there if 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 the big 10 west winner beat michigan or ohio state completely ruin everything oh yeah we got to have spencer peters's heisman moment when he throws <laughs> five touchdowns in the big 10 championship then they they and, would and, inexplicably, you know, just crushes Ohio State. It's I was been known to do that. It's coming whether you like it or not. Ugh. Well, it's a it's, it's a great week all all these rivalries and the fun trophies and then the name games. So much sports this weekend whether you want college basketball, pro basketball, NFL, college football, NHL's out there doing its thing. We got World Cup games. You have 4 days to sit on the couch, eat food and watch sports. Yeah, absolutely. Best time of the year. Well, that's that's it for me. Anything else for you before we duck out this week? Uh, no, just happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners. Enjoy it. Enjoy your time with your family and enjoy a little bit of sports if you feel so inclined. No Black Friday shopping for you? Absolutely not. Black Friday is for watching sports, not shopping. That is the that is the correct answer. Well, thank you. Thank you all for joining us. Happy to have you on this week's show. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Enjoy the weekend, and we will be back next week to recap it all and look ahead to December. <laughs>